This episode of Scream Queens is dedicated to the memory of Marcel Fontaine. This program is a proud member of Univaz. Unified, unique, voices. Learn more at univazpods.net. Hello, my name's Patrick, and I'm a Scream Queen. I'm a Scream Queen, and so are you! And my beautiful screamers, and welcome to another episode of Scream Queens. It's the podcast where horror gets gay. This is episode 335, and tonight we are taking a detour into the desert to talk about some rural horror. I'm talking about the 1988 monster movie that's also a tale of redemption and revenge. Pumpkinhead, directed by special effects legend Stan Winston. And to do that, I'm going to be joined by two very special guests, filmmaker and beer entrepreneur Oso Ewert and Pastor Fabulous, also known as the Reverend Ben Fitzgerald Fye. But before we do any of that, please allow me to introduce myself. Hi! My name is Patrick Walsh, and ever since 2010, I've been your guide through the weird and wonderful world of horror movies. But little pickle you're gonna have to see them through my very very gay little eyes oh yeah but there's no turning back now baby because it's time to listen to the trailer for Pumpkinhead. afraid raising the dead ain't within my power will it be all right should i be afraid Looking for an old woman. She lives somewhere in the mountains hereabouts. All she can do is take you straight to hell. You go home and you bury your boy. Some folks will say is how she's got powers. Who are you? Ed Harley. What do you want, Ed Harley? Say it. You're looking for vengeance. Vengeance. Say it. No graveyard way back deep in them woods. The thing you're looking for is in there. It was an accident. Keep away from Pumpkinhead, unless you're tired of living. His enemies are mostly dead. He's mean and unforgiven. Laugh at him, and you're undone, but in some dreadful fashion. Vengeance he considers fun, and plans it with a passion. Time will not erase or blot a plot that he has brewing. And if you think that he's forgot, he'll conjure your undoing. Bolted doors and windows barred. Guard dogs prowling in the yard. Won't protect you in your bed. Nothing will. From Pumpkinhead. That is a poem that was written by Ed Justin that inspired tonight's film. Pumpkinhead 
from 1988. So if you think that I'm sitting out here in this pumpkin patch tonight, all by myself, waiting for Pumpkinhead to rise, well, you got to get your head out your ass. I am not Linus. This ain't the Charlie Brown Halloween special. No, sir. I'm bringing some guests with me. And oh, what fabulous guests they are. One old, one new. First of all, we've got a man who is a big gay filmmaker who's coming back with a new talent. He's also going to make your beard look fabulous. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, please welcome back to the Screen Queens studio, Mr. Oso Ewart. Thank you. And which one of us is old? I'm just curious about that. Well, well, I mean, in terms of time, it's been a long time since oh, it's an old friend and a new friend. Gotcha. I thought you were calling me old. I would never, not to your face, not like this. That would be <laughs> that would be immoral. And this whole movie's about morality. And you know what? Speaking of morality, it's kind of funny because I just realized today that I have this big gay filmmaker on the show who made a movie that was religious-based horror, and I subconsciously paired him with the brand new guest that I'm talking about. He is a man of the cloth who is also out and also loves his horror movies. You can call him Pastor Fabulous if you want to, but ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls in my GNCs, wherever you may be, I call him Reverend Ben Fitzgerald Five. Hello, Patrick. How are you? I'm fabulous, Ben. How are you? I am good. Thank you. Things I love about Ben already. Ben's a new friend, like I said. Two things I love about Ben that I haven't told him yet. First of all, his, his last name. Fitzgerald, of course, is my legal last name. But also, the other half of his last name is Phi, which is one of my favorite words in the English language. Phi <laughs> <laughs> on you! Phi on you! It's never pronounced right, though, so it's usually fly or fee or some horrible thing. Oh, I locked onto that fire right away. I'm like, oh, that's getting down. That's one of my favorite words that really need to make a comeback. So the movie that we are here to talk about today was suggested by the Reverend Ben. It's one of his favorite films. Ben, what movie are we going to talk about today? We are going to talk about the Lance Henriksen iconic film, Pumpkinhead. Pumpkinhead. A film that does not get enough attention and we're, we're going to serve it up today. Oh, so. Since it's been a really long time since you've been here, like years, like decades, I need you to give me a nice, tight, 30-second, back-of-the-DVD cover plot summary of the movie Pumpkinhead. No pressure, but the clock starts now! Wow. Okay. Uh, Rotten kids murder accidentally small boy dad seeks revenge by a demon and witch lady in the mountains of middle of nowhere sold ben anything you want to add to that you got 10 seconds no that's deliverance with demons and no butt stuff <laughs> pumpkin butt is a whole other movie <laughs> <laughs> and that's not funny my grandfather died of pumpkin butts <laughs> And so Pumpkinhead from the fabulous year of 1988, directed by four-time Academy Award winner Stan Winston, special effects guru, uh, won Oscars for Jurassic Park, Terminator 2, and Aliens, of course, a seven-time Oscar nominee on top of that. 
But he also made a gnome called Norm. I, I can't even say the name of that movie. A gnome called Norm, which is absolutely wretched. But we're not here to talk about that today. Uh, yeah. Uh, I hated this movie when it came out. How did you hate this movie when it came out? <gasps> I was 18. I was still in high school. And I wanted gore. And it doesn't deliver there. Oh. And you were apparently one of those rotten kids then. Because I fell in love with this the first time I saw it. Um, Me too. This is it was, I loved it. I know, but I carry that that stupid teenage rage. You know, it's just the yeah, age out of that. <laughs> nah, it didn't give me what I wanted. Nah, I want my instant gratification, and I want it now. Well, in 1988, I was only 10 years old. Really? Well, wow. that's um, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners don't know that I just flipped Oso the finger. <laughs> so I don't revisit it. I don't think I've revisited it since then. Like, I remember thinking the special effects were cool. I remember loving the opening sequences and then the second half of the movie going because it didn't give me what I want. But watching it again, oh, this is a rich little tale. I like it. It's a morality play. It's got you know, it's got all that Old Testament undertone to it. And it, it's rich. And that. OK, who stars in this movie? Well, Lance Hendrickson, who is in everything. He really is, especially these days. If you see a guy on the street you don't recognize, it's Lance Hendrickson. <laughs> He's everywhere. Yeah. So Lance Hendrickson he gets is around. actually my favorite actor. <laughs> sorry, sorry. I was up. You know. No way. Lance Hendrickson is my favorite actor. I have felt every single emotion possible while watching him on film. Um, and I think this is the film that made me fall in love with him. Um, when... I rewatched it for the 8,000th 8, time kind of prepping for this. I cried and I knew I would when I was watching the opening scenes, not the opening opening, but you know, the, the, uh, the scenes with him and his son, because he was so real, he was so believable. It, I felt every just, every emotion that he was feeling at that time. Like I was crying watching this movie and I'm like, God damn it, Patrick, I'm crying watching a horror movie and I shouldn't be. I'm sorry. Did you just, I'm just sorry. Did you just play me? I didn't pick the movie. It was him. It was Ben. <laughs> five, five, ben. You made Bozo cry. No, I'm right there with you. And what I love about the opening of this movie is not just him, not just Lance Henriksen, that whole father son relationship is effortless. That kid is great. It is. He's not precious. He's not precocious. He's not an adult in a kid's body. That kid is just being himself, and it's wonderful. And their the play between the two of them is just like air. It's it's gorgeous to watch. I could see the actual connection that he was making with that kid, knowing that they are two actors, or you know, Lance Hendrickson, an actor, and the kid, eh, a kid, mm -hmm. but seeing how connected they really were and how much he actually cared about that kid and making sure that you know they made that um sort of father-son connection like i i don't i i feel like i've watched this over and over and over because i watch it you know i'll turn it on in the background on a regular basis i think i was jealous of that super close bond that they had which is part of the reason I think that it makes me so emotional watching that that death and the the immediate follow up of Lance Hendrickson. Just there, there is 
the look, the, there is a look that Lance Henriksen gives one of the kids, uh, when he says, can I help? And he turns around and gives him that look and that I, I lost it. We saw him. It was an accident. But can I help? He looked like he was going to kill me, I think, is what the kid says, right? Look, the kid's father showed up. He took the kid away. And I think everything's going to be okay. Really? Yeah. Did you tell him what happened? I told him it was an accident. And? And he, and he just looked at me. What do you mean he just looked at you? I don't know. Don't lie to me! He looked at me like he wanted to kill me. Yeah. You're absolutely right. That look is withering withering like i would not have been surprised if flames had just shot out of his eyes at that at at steve poor little steve no i I love everything about the relationship everything and as soon as you said that about the debt i didn't have that either and i'm ooh, yeah that that just rung a big bell right there you almost made me cry on my own show how dare you when i was rewatching, it struck me that the business they did when they didn't even have lines was so sincere like when they're setting up the little grocery store and they're sort of laughing together. When, and they're, when he's washing his hands and just standing behind him, that intimacy was just so wonderful. You know something? When I was your age, great-grandmama used to wash my hands. And she was so old that the skin on her hands, thin as tissue paper, felt so good. Guess what? Last one in the house to get the privilege of washing the breakfast dishes. <laughs> Get out of town. Yeah, it was so sweet. Yeah. Yeah. And, and effortless. Love not seeing the work going on behind the scenes. The other thing, one of the things that struck me too, just I ha- as I was watching it this morning, I was, I was told the boys earlier that Miss Boots had misplaced my notes during the night. <laughs> Could not find them. So I'm like, shit, I'm going to have to watch the movie again in the, you know, 45 minutes before we, we do this. And I started watching it, and then I found my notes. But I still had it running in the background, and I noticed something that I did not notice previously, and it just made my heart go, the sign at the grocery store. Lance Henriksen, Ed Harley, owns a grocery store, Harley's Groceries. And I just noticed for the first time that, that spray-painted like next to the professional logos and sun. Oh, I never saw that. It's so sweet and so awful. It's so mean. It's so mean. It's so mean of the, of the filmmakers. We're going we're gonna to crush people <laughs> with this stuff. I want to say, too, that watching it again as an adult, how visually striking it is, considering that the color palette is a symphony of brown. Yeah, one of the first things I noted was you can kind of, like, feel and smell and, you know, like, it's very, very in your face, right? I mean, this kind of dusty sweaty uh you know appalachian world that they live in and yeah that got to me right away it gets to me every time like i i feel a weird need to wash my hands i mean not in a, a negative no way, no but. no no i know i feel it too because i noticed thing this time again this this the last emergency watch i was noticing the costumes on the timeout I'm gonna come back to my point but the other thing i like is that we have quote hillbilly horror where the hillbillies aren't evil mm. They're just living their best lives. Oh, yeah. They're just going about their day. They're just, this is their community and it's working fine. And they're not the source of horror. And I like that. But initially, when I said Symphony of Brown, that's, I'm thinking of this particular shot where you pull into the local village type. And it's just 
brown. The people are brown. The clothes are brown. Everything's brown. Then I realized, that's just dust. That's just today's dust that they're covered in. And you can see, when I look close, I'm like, you can see colors under their clothes. They're not so much dirty. They're just dusty. That's just the air here. I love these little touches. So you're getting visceral things, which are really, really great. And the soundtrack really got me this time, too, particularly in the first half of it, because it's it's all harmonicas, banjos, steel drum, uh, steel guitars, rather, uh, fiddles. But it's used right. You can go one step too far and it becomes hokey, but they just <laughs> made it right on the line. Okay. Top of the movie. What's happening? Uh, oh, so walk me through. So uh, I I noted during the opening that I don't think I ever made the connection that it was Ed Harley that was the kid, but it is a man running away from something uh, that you don't really see. And he's banging on the door of his neighbors to try and get in and get help to get away from whatever this thing is. And the family is just, they are walled up. No one's coming in. We're not going out kind of get away from here just to, to basically we're not getting involved. I don't think I've ever made the connection that that was Ed Harley until I really paid attention to it this time. I'm like, that's exactly who that is. And it just, I don't, I think I've seen it so many times that that just has kind of washed over me. I just completely forgot. But it was an important kind of impression on Ed Harley that this is that thing. This is that thing that we don't talk about. You know, it, we talk about it, but don't talk about it. So everybody sort of low key knows that this is a thing, but it's almost like that unspoken thing, but everybody still knows about it. The little town with the dirty secret. Yeah. Right. With the dark, dark legend that we don't talk about, but we know is true. Yeah. The other, the thing that struck me too this time through was the, the man's banging on the door who is going, the doomed man banging on the door and the family's not letting him in. And he's like, what kind of Christian are you? Oh, for God's sake, Tom, open up, please. It's after me. Tom is going to get me. God in heaven, Tom. <laughs> We can't just sit here. Please, nothing to do with us. What kind of a Christian are you, for God's sake? If I had a nickel for every time I said that to somebody, um. <laughs> making it rain with nickels. <laughs> Think bigger, Ben. Come on. <laughs> it, 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 that's what got me locked into my locked into the um, Old Testament part of this. I said. Wow, this is really harsh. What is the morality? Is it wrong to let him in? Is it right to let him in? And I said, you know what? This situation is really not that far off from the Israelites painting their doors with lamb's blood to make sure that the angel of death passed over and the neighbor's kid died. You know, sorry, can't get involved. My kid's going to be okay. Sorry about yours. Why doesn't daddy let the man in? Okay, buddy. We're not going to tell you this trick either. Sorry, it's not for you. So it's, it puts a lot of great questions up from the start. Make a doubt yourself. And I love that sort of thing. What I also love about this movie is that the one day, but that man is not the same person that he was when he woke up that morning. I think he goes from hero to villain to hero again. It's this weird pendulum that he swings throughout the entire film. Yeah, I think that's one of the underappreciated and remarkable things is that it's not that he's even a hero or a villain. He's like all of us, right? Kind of going through this experience and and flipping back and forth between, you know, that need to be avenged uh, and then recognizing other people's suffering, right? So uh, it's it's this really great kind of psychological wrestling he's doing 
in a, in a in a supernatural way, obviously, because he's you know essentially possessed. He's kind of wrestling with this thing the whole time. Uh, and I just thought that's the, probably the realest expression of of what we go through when we're faced with this kind of horrible accident or whatever, right? Um, that kind of loss. What happens? We're at the, we're at the, okay, so we're, we were in 1957, something bad happens. We flash forward to the present. We have Lance Henriksen and his son just doing everything right. What happens that's so bad? What could possibly happen on such a beautiful day like this? So as as happens in the 80s, eventually a motocross scene breaks out for no apparent reason, right? So um, they <laughs> these horrible city folks, right, uh, led by the most horrible city folk, right, the uh, – the dude whose name for some reason is escaping me at the moment. Joel. Joel, right. Uh, so they're going somewhere with motorcycles and somehow their lives are motorcycle oriented, but we're never really told exactly what the deal is, right? Are they doing this as professionals or whatever? But so he decides he's going to ride the motorcycle uh, and then it becomes this big competition. Well, dad, I mean, I guess we have to say dad isn't there, right? Because he forgot the feed. There is a yeah. To sum things up, there is a series of unfortunate events right. that lead up to this horrible accident. This little things. Oh, um, yes, a customer comes by and needs his feed right now. Oh, I left the feed at the house. Oh, I got to leave the kid here for a minute. Oh, the dog got out. Oh, these people just happened to stop by. So it's just this whole right. chain of events that should that bring up this inevitable thing. Please go on, Ben. So then the uh, motorcycle dudes are like racing with each other and. They jump over this hill and the little boy is chasing his dog uh, in the exact same spot. Uh, one misses and the other one hits the little boy. Um, and that's when this whole chain of events is set off. Right. So Joel has hit the little boy. I also just want to say pause snaps up for Gypsy the dog. <laughs> Gypsy is also Barney the dog in Gremlins, which I found out hmm. today. I know, I know, I know. I found that out too. And his name is Mushroom, or her name probably. It's usually a female dog in a movie. Since we're here, a bunch of teenagers come and ruin everything like they do. Mm. Like they do. I also like that they uh, reversed the the old Harbinger trope. You know, there's always that. They always have to stop at the store in the middle of nowhere. And that's usually where they get the portent of doom. They are the portent of doom. The other thing I didn't like my first time around is that you don't really know anything about these kids that show up. You don't get much of them. You don't get into them a lot. And then I realized this time around, they don't matter. So there was actually a scene that was shot that was not added to the film or was cut from the film, more likely. Uh, that was more of the introduction to them at a diner. Um, I, I think that they played the part that they needed to in this film, and you hated them immediately. See, I didn't. At least, at, oh, I didn't. No, I didn't. The I, thing is, was, okay, this time around, I didn't because one of my beefs with any movie, particularly horror movies, because usually getting a bunch of teenagers thrown together. If I don't buy this group as friends, I'm having going to have a hard time with your movie. If I don't know why these people are hanging out. When I watched it the other night, I was like, why are these people hanging out? Why are you friends? You don't get – oh, this part of the group are friends. Joel and his girlfriend crashed the party. That's why they're here. Okay, so that's why everybody's on edge. Like, oh, you don't – that's why they're not in the car together. Like, yeah, we're going to – I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ride with Steve. Yeah, I'm going to ride with Steve too. Me too. <laughs> Nobody wants to be with them. So I guess you don't hate all of them immediately, but you hate him. Immediately. Immediately. Because he's just a piece of garbage. He, well, yeah, they give him nothing else to do but be absolutely awful on every possible level. And he's great. Like this, um, b -b 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 John Diazino does this really well. He's loathable from square one. Like his first line is just like, oh, f ugh. made a friend there already, huh, Joel? 
gypsy no check out this kid's glasses we're talking coke bottles jesus what all i said we was heard a- you man yeah, and he pushes his girlfriend. I mean, like he just does one ridiculously mean, terrible thing after another. Oh yeah, abusive, controlling, toxic masculinity. All like everything wrapped into one package. None of this would have happened. Like there's all this the series of unfortunate events that lead up to that accident. But all of those individual events would cause no harm. Mm. Had Joel not felt the need to flex his dick as soon as they stopped for five minutes. I got to do this now. I got to start riding motorcycles now. You jerk. You jerk. None of this would have happened. Come on. I thought we were going to get everyone settled in first. Listen, if you want to stay here and play with the vegetables, that's fine with me. I'm going. I also like the fact that the boy gets hit by the motorcycle and it's not a big deal visually. They didn't go full gauge. Like from uh, Pet Cemetery on this, because that would have been awful. I think that it was still horrifying, though. It was the fact that the kid's not dead too, and they, 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 the thing that saved most of them for me is that most of them tried to do the right thing right here. Don't move him. He just came out of nowhere. Oh, no. All right. He's gonna be okay, Billy. Ah, right, keep him warm. Keep him warm. Oh God! They tried. Um, they weren't. Most of them weren't involved with the accident. You want to know who I hate in this cast? Okay, since we brought this up, this really, this really resonated with this last emergency watch. I really hate Maggie. Maggie's the worst. Maggie's the worst. She's the worst. And I'll get into this because, um, you know what? First of all, I really. <laughs> Hold on, Dave's about to have a tantrum. <laughs> okay, part of it is because she gets the special. She got a special, and introducing Carrie Remsen as Maggie. So I'm expecting something special, and I know that's just something your agents do to make your name pop out. I know that she had done tons of work before, and it's not an attack on the actress. But as soon as that kid got hit by the bicycle, she tried to make it all about her. She goes full Barbara from Not a Living Dead. And the more I watch it, the more I realize she's not actually in an emotional crisis. She is actually just trying to get attention. There's a scene later on where she, she goes catatonic for most of the movie. There's a scene where she just wanders outside. Like she's like, oh, she's, I'm in shock and I'm wandering. She, when she gets up, she actually walks to the door, makes sure everybody sees that she's leaving. She's manipulative and, I, and then <laughs> tries to control everything for the, for the rest of the movie. I don't like Maggie at all. Don't like her. Now, I think they tried to make her um... – yeah, I mean, she's really whiny. I mean, like, it's like, yeah, I know some terrible thing happened. Uh, but like you said, like, it's not about you. Like, it's this two-dimensional uh, drama queen thing she's doing. And, you know, even even the scene where she's, you know, post-catatonic, I guess we'll say. And she's at the table, like, praying fervently. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with you. Whatever you saw out there, it wasn't the devil. It was! Hail Mary, full There is! I saw! And I'm thinking, I'm a pastor and I wouldn't hang out with you. Like, this is obnoxious. You should be okay, right? I mean, they took the gun and everything. God is the only thing that can stop what's out there, Kim. Just in case God doesn't show. Right. <laughs> and even then when she comes out of that, when she tries to control everything, she's like, we're not living without Steve. No. What about Steve? We couldn't find him. What are we going to do? I don't know. 
We've got to get the hell out of here. We're not going anywhere without Steve. Maggie, we don't know what's out there. Steve is out there. We right. gotta go back for Steve. I'm, what about Steve? It's all about my boyfriend. And I've decided, okay, since this is the podcast where horror gets gay, the person that I've decided in this movie that is gay is Steve. <laughs> we heard a story a couple years ago about a guy who killed his wife and ate her just to get rid of the evidence. Yeah. That's disgusting. No, the cops found like her foot or something in this big pot with all these carrots and onions. It was like foot stew. <laughs> they're not dating. Maggie thinks they're dating. They're not dating. <laughs> She's that friend. She's that that gay the the the, the, yeah. the friend that doesn't understand that we're not we're not a couple. I am gay. You know I'm gay. You're not curing me. Yeah. She's a neurotic beard. I'm trying not to knock the actress because she does what she's supposed to do. However, I discovered when I went through IMDb, she's on my favorite episode of Facts of Life, <laughs> which is the one where Tootie gets cast as Nellie Forbush in South Pacific and is mad at <laughs> Nellie's mad at her and is throwing coconuts across the stage while she's trying to sing Some Enchanted Evening. To this day, when I go to see a production of South Pacific, if nobody's throwing coconuts across the stage, I'm like, boo, get up, go home. Okay, back to the movie. <laughs> I feel I feel like we miss I feel like we kind of miss something, though, because uh, we didn't talk about the re- reciting of the poem by the creepy hillbilly children. Thank right? you. One of whom am I? Am I? Cor- am I correct that one of those children is Blossom? Yes, Mayim Bialik is in this movie. The other kid is supposed to be somebody too. Odessa, somebody, she's apparently famous now too, and I I did not do my research on her. Yeah, that whole ooh, I love all the scenes with them. That there's a there's a family, there's a side family, Buckflower and his family. Buckflower is in this movie. It only kills what it was called upon to kill them and whatever gets in his way i love buck flower what a career what a career he did everything he had one character but he did it really well he did everything from disney movies to like softcore porn to back to the future so and he uh he's great in this he adds gravitas and weight to this to everything and i love that and he's got this gaggle of kids uh, the oldest is the oldest is a uh, uh, bunt Played by Brian Bremer. I love Bunt. This is his first film role, and he owns the screen when he's on it. I love him. But yes, there's lots of there's lots of commotion at the at this grocery store before the accident. You know, the the the, the kids arrive, and the Buck Flower and his family and his brood arrive at the same time. And so there's lots of things going on. And one of them is that the littlest of the brood is getting taunted by the others. What happens? But he, he was getting taunted because he was being a little shit. Billy Bob. Took, <laughs> of course, it's Billy Bob. He took Gypsy's ball and wouldn't give it back. Right. So that's when he started getting taunted because and that's where that whole morality thing comes in on just a, a smaller level. But like he took something that wasn't his and he was being a little brat and wouldn't give it back. So that's when they start taunting him with the pumpkin head. Jimmy Joe, you done bad. Y'all know what settles on badness, hey. don't you? Pumpkin head. Pumpkin head. Y'all stop. There ain't no pumpkin head. What about old Mr. Foley? He moved away. Uh-uh. Pumpkin head. Got it. Teared off his head and drank all the blood. Did not. Did too. Shut up, Hesse. Keep away from pumpkin head unless you're tired of living. His enemies are mostly dead. He's mean and unforgiving. Stop it! Yes, keep away from Pumpkinhead unless you're tired of living. His enemies are mostly dead. He's mean and unforgiven. I heard that poem long before this movie came out, and I don't know where. Hmm. I don't know where. When they started reciting in the movie, I recited it along with them the first time. I know that poem. I don't. I, the only thing I could think of, there used to be a Twilight Zone magazine that would publish things like this. It must have been in there. 
Yeah, so that's how we that's why we learned the term pumpkinhead. That is thank you for for catching that, Ben. So this accident happens and like I said, most of the kids are trying to do the right thing. Except Joel and Maggie. Maggie immediately immediately makes it all about her. Like the bike happens and she hits the floor. Like we have an injured child and I also have to take care of you. Boo on you, Maggie. I'm not going out on Maggie again. It's not even the accident that's unforgivable. It's what Joel does is that unforgivable. He leaves. It's like, fuck it, I'm out of here. And fuck all you guys, I'm out of here. The hell do you think you're doing? You stay, I'm fucking. Is that what you want? It's- it was an accident. I almost hit him myself. Yeah, but I've been drinking. They'll fry me. You gotta help me, Scratch. Hey, call an ambulance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Corey! What are you doing? Get in the car. No, we can't. leaves all of his friends there. I'm going to take my girlfriend and we're going to the cabin. Bye. He makes sure he secures the motorcycle though, because that's super important. Well, he can't flex his dick without the motorcycle, (laughs) Ben. I didn't know motorcycles were wieners. This is the first time I'm hearing that. Well, it's hello. It's a, it's a, it's a chopper. It's between your legs and it revs. Come on now. It's a huge phallic symbol as is, as is his shotgun. I'm from PA. I thought guns were always wieners, so I guess I didn't make the connection. Many things are wiener, Pastor Ben. <laughs> Many things are wiener. <laughs> okay, that goes in a sermon. <laughs> hey there, Screamers. As you know, May is my birthday month, which means over at the Scream Queens virtual drive-in, it's going to be birthday madness all month long. Every Sunday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, we're watching another scary-themed birthday movie starting on May 1st with Bloody Birthday from 1981. On May 8th, my actual birthday, come watch the Canadian slasher classic Happy Birthday to Me. On Sunday, May 15th, it's Madhouse from 1981. It's going to be a shitty birthday when your crazy sister escapes from the Madhouse. And finally, on May 22nd, we're breaking tradition. We're going to show Grand Piano, which I had to cancel a couple of weeks ago, starring Elijah Wood and John Cusack. The fun starts every Sunday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and all you got to do is go to www.screamqueens.com slash drive-in. It's super fun, and it's always free. The Scream Queens Virtual Drive-In, where your dreams come true, but your nightmares do too, baby. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Thank you, because I just wrote like a whole Phoebe from Friends children's <laughs> song in my head about it. The fact, the fact, too, the other thing that makes me say that this Steve is gay is that Steve is the one that gets left there to deal with everything. I'm like, we're going to leave it to the gay. He'll handle this well. He's more sensitive. They won't hit Steve. Who can hit a boy with a headband like that? <laughs> no, in the 80s, that was the halo, right? The headband is the halo. on the mm, Oh, wow. <laughs> You're right. You're right. It literally it comes up several times, too. That image, um, yeah. And I just want to go out and throw out shouts to Steve. Steve is Joel Hoffman. You will recognize him from Slumber Party Massacre 2, Slaughterhouse, and what was the other one? Um, I can't. Oh, Killer Workout. Ooh, what a movie. <laughs> he didn't do much, but I, but yeah, I always like him. So, yeah. So, this that Steve gets left there, and Lance Henriksen, Lance Henriksen comes back, and that scene that Oso had mentioned earlier happens. If looks could actually kill, we would all be dead from this one glance from Lance Henriksen. Lance Henriksen is one of those actors that nothing shows on his face, which is why he was great as um, – I want to call him Data, but that's not right. Yeah, the Android. The Android dude, yeah. Bishop, thank you. Bishop. Nothing shows. Nothing shows, but like every emotion possible came bursting out of his face at that moment. That whole scene where he takes Billy back to the house 
to try to take care of him is just, first of all, gorgeous and absolutely heart-wrenching. Once upon a time, there was this old man and he had a lot of his very, very special son. The fact that they underplayed everything is amazing. They don't go for the throat with the emotional stuff at all, which makes it so much worse. When Billy, you can see that moment when he dies. Mm. And it's just that recognition on Lance Henry. I'm fucking tearing up right now. That sense of recognition on Lance Henriksen's face and just he he it's like that he accepts he knows it happened, it's it's done. It's just oh god. I learned early on in my acting studies that from a from a film director that it's really brave when filmmakers allow long shots because so much can go wrong and things like that. And, you know, splicing, it's really easy. You can make everything look great if you splice. So if you just let the camera linger for minutes on end, not only is it brave, but it starts to make the audience uncomfortable because it feels like you're staring into something really personal. Like now all of a sudden I'm a voyeur. I'm here. And that's what this scene does, but it's so gorgeously lit. You got this golden sunlight beaming through the window. The music doesn't go sappy either. It's just that Billy theme on the harmonica that we've heard the whole time, the same way we've heard it the whole time. And the fact that the world ends in this scene and it ends quietly. And then something new is born right in front of your face. In this one take, you see the dark come over Lance Henriksen that's there for the rest of the movie. And it's wonderful. It's wonderful. All right. Yeah. So I knew what was happening, obviously, because I've watched this so many times. And it got me when he got hit by the dirt bike. It got me when Lance gave, you know, Joel that look. Steve, uh, when Lance gave him that look, but at that moment, I I lost it again. Just like completely. I I it is not often that a horror movie makes me cry. And this one that scene and i i you you just mentioned uh never ending story that the artex mm-hmm. in the that scene has scarred me for my entire life you and a whole generation oh so a whole generation ruined I, by that movie absolutely so it's it's given me this inability to watch bad things happen particularly to young boys in film without losing my shit and this is one of those that it, it just I can't watch that without crying. Yeah, I, I mean, well, first of all, Noah Hathaway has a lot to answer for. But um, <laughs> the uh, uh, the what, what 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 I love about this movie and like one of the reasons uh, that I love talking about this movie is because, you know, we're in the late 80s. And so, you know, the trope prior to this was if you have sex or do drugs, you're going to die. Right. That's that's kind of the thing. Now we have this idea of like. Uh, I'm going to get a theological nerdy here, but uh, redemptive violence, right? The idea that if you kill a child, whatever happens to you afterward is absolutely justified. 
right? So you have done something horrible and now you must pay the price for that. And the same way with animals, right? Uh, if you kill a dog or a cat, it's okay to tear your face off, right? So it, that became a, a much bigger thing in the later sort of half of the 80s, especially with this idea of killing children, which is absolutely unsettling. I mean, there's nothing worse uh, than the thought of, you know, a little kid uh, being killed accidentally or intentionally, right? It's just awful. And so, you know, there is that moment when you're thinking, yeah, go get them, right? <laughs> you know, do what you got to do, right? These people are terrible. It's also the morality of the movie. It's like, do you, do, what, do you, what do you do with that? It's a totally natural response to want to do that. It's what you do with it that matters. Yeah, and he makes all of his choices in that responsive moment, right? Because this all happens so quickly. Mm -hmm. well, that's how the world changes. It doesn't it's often just the same person that you were when you woke up that morning and it happened like that. I also, just from a filmmaker's point of view, I love the despicable cruelty behind the scene too. <laughs> They're like, oh, this is going to rip their hearts out. The fact that they made Billy wake up for that one second. We're going to give him that little bit of hope and then we're going to take it away. And there's that sign right outside that says leaving hope on the side of the, on the, side of the store. So, and yeah, it just left. It just left. Okay. It's not that kind of a movie. We are not going to sit here and cry. This is not Steel Magnolias. All right. So. Right? <laughs> Lance Henriksen is pumped up for revenge now. What did he do? So he goes Whoa. to the Wallace family and has his son with him, which is still just like crushing. I thought he was in a potato sack at first, and then I realized it wasn't. I'm like, okay, it's a quilt. It looked. Like, I was like, did he put it in? nothing wrong Which with the potato sack? Me, yeah, yeah. It just makes me think of the quilts that my grandmother has. So I always it's Americana. It's yes, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's perfect. Yeah. So oh, I'm sorry, didn't mean to interrupt. Wallace says, "I don't know what you're talking about." He said, "Look, they killed my kid, and then they left." I'm looking for an old woman. She lives somewhere in the mountains hereabouts. Some folks would say is how she's got powers. I never heard no such woman. Mr. Wallace, please. I can't tell you what I don't know. What killed him? City folks. Run him over. Left him. I'm sorry about your boy. You got to tell him. She's the only one that can help him. Like I said, I'm sorry. You got to tell me, God damn it. She can't help him. All she can do is take you straight to hell. Now you go on home. You go home and you bury your boy. So Wallace basically says, you know, there's nothing she can do for him. Just go and bury your boy. All she can do is lead you straight to hell. Yeah. But I think that he's okay with that at that point. You know, if it means that they've got... If they, they answer for what they did, he's he he doesn't care, you know. No, no. I again, I still I get I get it I get it. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. But, so he didn't get the information that he wants. So he's going to go home and bury his son, right? Well, no, because then Dennis the Menace of Appalachia comes out. What? Um, <laughs> <laughs> Damn you, Dennis. He, that's why he's the menace. He knows, he knows what you need, right? He knows where you need to go because he's a little scamp. He knows where the witches live. He's a little scamp and he's going to make some money off of it. Right. Also, I do I just realize now, I also love that there's multiple parts to Lance Hendrickson. Why can't I say his name today? There's multiple parts to Lance Hend Hendrickson's corruption. It's not just the death. It's like other people have to get involved. He's dragging other mm. people with them and like, okay, that didn't, that didn't work. That works. It's, again, it's just little increments 
another unfortunate series of events that he just happened to run into Bunce. I love that his name is Bunce because I just want to glaze him. (laughs) 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 I hate myself Uh, for that. I don't even Uh, know what to do right now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, because you're here, I'm not telling my Bunt Cake story, and they already know the Bunt Cake story. Yeah, so Bunt's like, yeah, I know, I know where I'll take it there. I'll, I'll tell you where to go. But Lance is like, no, you got to get in the car with me. You're going to take me there. I know who you're looking for. What you tried? What? Her name's Haggis. She's up on Blackridge. Get him back. Uh-uh, no way. You got to show me get him back. Okay. I'm only going part way. That old woman scares a piss out of me. So it's another choice that somebody that you he could have walked away, but no, he got his ten bucks. Yeah, sure, I'll take it. Not that woman scares the shit out of me. <laughs> and we go to the house of Haggis, which is not a restaurant in Scotland. It is a witch's hut. You name your kid Haggis, you're going to have problems. Oh, I think she earned that name. I think she earned it. <laughs> what she you got like gr- to grow into a name like Haggis. <laughs> you guess she, yeah. Or that's, yeah, that's just what they call her. Nobody knows what her real name is anymore. It doesn't matter. I loved all of this. I loved all of this. One of the things I love about it so much is how still Haggis is. She doesn't move. Like Even her eyes don't move. I thought she was blind for a long time because when Lance Henderson comes in, she never looks at him. Like, oh, she's no. Then later on, you're like, oh no, she knows exactly what she's doing. She's like, He's inconsequential. But that kind of stillness, like that coiled snake stillness, I love that. I love that. The, well, I agree with the little kid, right? That old woman scares the piss out of me too. The makeup on her, stunning, stunning. I don't have an idea what the woman looks like underneath it. It is amazing. And again, she gives him every opportunity to leave. She mm-hmm. gives him every warning. She's like, you don't want to do this. The price is way too high for you, Ed Harley. Steps of corruption. It's like, you, but no, he really, really wants it. He makes all the wrong decisions here. And it's wonderful to watch. I even love that when she asks for payment, he pays in those silver coins that are way too big to be any kind of currency that exists in the world right now. Yeah, it's a Judas moment. Yeah, well, and this is a very Faustian moment, right? Uh, this idea that he's about to make the deal, right? Uh, and she, I'm like you, like, I don't think, I don't think a witch could tell you more times that you really don't have to do this and it's probably a bad idea. You got to ask for it. You got to say it by name. Right, yeah. Yeah. Say it, yeah. When I was young. I said there's nothing I can do. I saw it. You want it, Hardy? Say it. Say it. Say it. And even then, it's like, okay, but now you got to go dig it up, and now you got to go bring it back, and you got to leave your kid here. But, has, but he's he's in for the penny, and he's in for the pound, and he's in for the thirty pieces of silver. Unfortunately, and what I love about Haggis, I'm a big word man. I, 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 I Shakespeare, uh, Shakespeare trained, so I love language and everything out of that wretched mouth is poetry. For each of man's evils, a special demon exists. You're looking at vengeance, cruel, devious, 
pure as fin finch. There's a music to it, even though she's a hag, and there's wonderful poetic imagery. After he digs up the body, we'll come, we'll jump around a bit. Digs up the body, and she goes, "What am I looking at?" She's like, "You looking at vengeance, cruel, devious, pure as venom vengeance." Love that. That just ooh, it it literally makes the hairs go up on my arms and my neck, not from fright, but just like. That was delicious. I would kill for a line like that. And she's so calm. I mean, like she says everything with this absolute serenity. She's done this a thousand times, a thousand times, a thousand times. We don't know how old she is. We don't know. She's always been this. She's always been here. She's I, I love her. She's great. Wonderful character. That could have been a toss off uh, uh, right off. I'm sorry. A toss off. <laughs> Paging Dr. Freud. If I had known I'm going to be so filthy, I would have poured myself a bigger glass of water to wash my mouth out. <laughs> One of my other favorite parts of the movie is the trip to this graveyard. It's not just any graveyard. It's the graveyard where they bury the kin they shamed of. There's an old graveyard way back deep in them woods. Mountain folk used to bury kin in there. Kin they's ashamed of. Bring a shovel. The thing you're looking for is in there. Bring it back here. Some things I gotta do to it before it'll be any use to you. That graveyard, how will I know? You'll know it, Hardy. You'll know. Right. So good. And there's mutant pumpkins everywhere, which I loved that they didn't give Pumpkinhead a pumpkin head. Right. And that the story was that it was this graveyard with all of these bizarre horror movie pumpkins, because I think that was just a brilliant choice, because uh, I think there was discussion about a pumpkin head. Well, the little one kind of does the smaller version of the demon that he first digs up out of the graveyard. Like it, 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 it it's his head is yeah. it has it little has, pumpkin. It's, it's gourd esque. It's got like when what, what he digs up is clearly not human or it's it's a desecration of the human form, if we'll go that way. It really made me think of uh, Sam from Trick or Treat. Yes, that could be. Yeah, this could totally be a cousin yes. of Sam. Absolutely. Not the son of Sam, the cousin of Sam. <laughs> no, that's an excellent observation. But I just love that whole scene just because the fog is – I know it's a studio shot. It's got to be, but it's this studio shot. But the fog is working for me. The fact that it's this weird hill that just shouldn't exist, like what made that? Like, why would you bury anybody again to have to to have to dig him up? You have to climb this weird thing that has no easy way up or easy way down. You have to make that conscious decision to say, nope, I'm not, I'm going to do this. And even when he digs him up, I just realized he digs him up. He gets him in his hands like, oh, no, no, I'm not doing this. And he jumps off. He could have left and he doesn't. So many chances to stop this. And he doesn't take any of them. No, that's the charm of little pumpkin head. He's yeah. <laughs> Can we keep him? He's so cute. <laughs> <laughs> Look at that little squash. Yeah. We can make him a pie or into a pie or both. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so yeah, so he takes he takes this little uh, this little skeleton creature with a little pumpkin head back to uh to Haggis and this this, this is the whole ritual that has to do that has to be done to awaken Pumpkinhead, which involves blood. A lot of people are really hung up on the fact that Billy's corpse shouldn't have bled. Painfully hung up on it, like ruined the movie hung up on it. I thought about that at the time. 
I was watching it, and I'm like, ah, he should not be dripping like that. But I'm just pushing a little bit of that suspension of disbelief, and she squeezed his arm enough that it made him bleed. I don't even have to go that logical for it. I just go, if Haggis wants you to bleed, you're going to bleed. <laughs> We're this deep. We're this deep Fair into enough. it. I already got his blood. I just need yours. The blood comes to me. Well, the blood sizzles when it hits Pumpkinhead's lips. So I love that there's no waiting around. <laughs> He's up and about immediately. He's like giant in 30 seconds. Like one of those sponges that are like T-Rexes and you put them in water and they get really – never mind. But scary. Really <laughs> scary. I think also I didn't like at the time when I first saw it that the design was very Alien Queen to me and I'd just seen it. There's some, there was something very alien about it. And I don't mean – I mean the movie, not just alien in general. But It's the bends of the elbows and the bends of the knees, I think. And, and the, it, the, the way that the, the teeth pull back, it's, it, just, it just reminded me so much of Alien that I was like, nah, Stan Winston could have done better. Man, but no, I like him. I like him. He's well, expressive. Stan Winston didn't actually do the design. It I know that, but I didn't team. know that at the time, okay? We didn't have no IMDb in eight, nine, 1888. I was about to say. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm out. I quit. I quit. I'm out. <laughs> you didn't have no pumpkin head in 1888. What? Oh, we did, but he was a lot. <laughs> yeah, well, that was the neighbor. Well, he, we called him squash head back then, but it wasn't as marketable because we weren't concerned about you no know, logarithms and like focus groups and stuff like that. Um, <laughs> where were we? What were we talking about? I completely derailed myself. Sizzle. But Sizzle, I didn't like the special effect. Okay, yeah. I like it now because I realized watching it this time, I, I'm enjoying that Pumpkinhead is not just this marauding thing of rage. The Pumpkinhead has a range of emotions that he goes through. Pumpkinhead enjoys what he does, but we'll get into that. We'll get into that. But with this design, that really helps that. It's designed to make that you can see all these emotions that it's not just, blah, I'm here to eat you, which I don't do anyway. I'm not going to eat you. You're awful. Hmm. Look at you. You're awful. No. So something happens. So we've got this terrifying figure becoming even more distorted, becoming even bigger. But something's happening simultaneously. What's happening at the same time? Pumpkinhead wakes up. Lance Henderson hits the floor. Yeah. So it, it's yes. it, they very effectively made the connection between the two of them. So when Pumpkinhead is pumpkinheading, Lance Henderson is also pumpkin heading. Oh, I'm sorry. Did you think the price was going to be just your soul? Ed Holly, did you think that's all it was going to be, Ed Holly? No, 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 no. You're going to see everything that he does. You're going to feel everything that he does. You're going to hear all of their screams. Yeah, good stuff, good stuff. You know what? They're so boring that we haven't talked about the people of the Capitol. <laughs> because no one cares. No, because the yeah, edge, they're, yeah. they're trapped in the closet. It's, yeah, they're it's trapped in the closet. And to be fair, I do want to say, like, um, I do like. Where's her name? Main girl. You mean like final girl, the last girl? Yeah, our main girl, Cynthia Bain, the redhead, redheadish one. I can't think of the character's name, but I like. Is it Tina? Hello, this is the ghost of Patrick's yet to come. Cynthia Bain's character's name is Tracy. Back to the show. I like her a lot. When we get out of here, Joel's going to be carrying his balls home in a knapsack. Remind me never to piss you off, Tracy. I also not really fond of her boyfriend either, even though it's Jeff East. Jeff East was a staple. 
in the 70s. Staple. That was the other thing that threw me off. I'm like, that guy is way too old to be hanging out with these kids. Way too old, but okay, whatever. They're not, they're not teenagers, to be fair. I've decided they're not teenagers. They're late, they're mid-20s kids. But yeah, Jeff East was um, Huckleberry Finn in the Tom Sawyer movies with Jodie Foster, Summer of Fear with Wes Craven, Deadly Blessing, Superman. And to be fair, he was even old in Summer of Fear. He's a little long in the tooth for that. There's lots of commotion going on because Joel has taken over the cabin. Like the others have arrived and he won't let anybody leave. He's not letting anybody call the police. He's ripped the phone out of the wall. Why is he so upset? It's, 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 it's But this one little accident that he doesn't even know the kid's dead. Oh, he's got priors. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's on probation. Jesus, he just ripped the phone cord out of the wall. What? I'm going back. I'm going to drive to the nearest You're not going anywhere. Hey! Hey. What's up? Please. Joel was in another accident a couple months ago and a girl was hurt. He's on probation right now. If the police find out about it. They're not going to find out about it. Look, man, I'm real sorry about that, but that little boy down there needs our help now. Joel? Just give me the keys, all right? He's going to go to jail for this. And by the way, the cabin that they're in is the Jarvis cabin from Friday the 13th uh, final chapter, which I thought was neat. Thank you, IMDb. He's got two of them locked in the closet. You got Maggie freaked out. And he's got his girlfriend, Kim. And this time when I was watching it this morning, I focused on Kim a little bit. I wish there was more of her. I like this, this actress a lot. I like her look. Like, first of all, stunningly gorgeous. She's got a Susanna Hoff thing going on that works for me. But it didn't really register in previous viewings. That scene where he said where he he hits her after the accident. He hits her. He knocks her to the ground. I'm like, oh, of course. This is an abusive relationship. Dur, of course it is. Look at him. Look at him. There is a moment that I think is so small but so fabulous from Kim. Joel's holding court at the kitchen table. I don't remember who else is there. Doesn't matter. And Kim comes over and she says, Look, I'm really starting to worry about Maggie. When she approaches, her eyes are down, her head is down. She doesn't make any eye contact. I'm like, that actress knew. It's like she's playing abuse, even though it's not mm-hmm. in the main script. I'm like, that is an abused woman that we're watching right there. And it was such a great little choice to just find that little nugget. Anyway, I get, I excited, I get excited about little things. No one's taking the bait, but the, the <laughs> no, I just, well, I just the other didn't mean to say. <laughs> the, the other thing I think she did that she kind of shows that is that the automatic way she's willing to take his side, right? Because she doesn't have a choice. No, I mean she has to say protect this guy, or he's going to hit her again. I mean, you know, so she's just speaking, and I like the actress because I think she really plays this f- fearfulness, right? Not of what's happening, but of him, right? Uh, when when she's talking, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. I wish she had more to do, but we'll get into that. Yeah, they, they don't even know the kid's dead, do they? No, they don't, because no. that comes up later. That's right, much, much later, right, 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 right. So, yes, they don't even know why this is happening to them. Not until um, the very end. Yeah. Thanks, Joel. Thanks, Joel. Jerk. Jerk. Pumpkin heads up. He's awake. What's going to happen? We going to go spray paint the cars? He goes short sheet their bump beds? How did, well, how- obviously, he has to kill every one of them. And he does it in such like it's it's there is a a certain amount of joy, I think, that he gets in it. And it's so strange. Um, I noticed that the first time you see him in context of those kids, 
you see him pass and it's almost at the end of a shot that's panning that he's crossing across these windows. I don't know that I've ever noticed that shot before, but it was great. And it's creepy as hell. There's a couple of those. He blends in with the trees. Yeah, absolutely. He's so, cause he's so nimbly and brown that, and everything is nimbly and brown around there. Everything's spiky and and gross and brown. So he just blends right in. He's perfectly camouflaged, which causes for some great jump scares. One of the other things I love about Pumpkinhead is that his mere presence affects the weather immediately around him. That's how mm-hmm, alien mm-hmm. he is. What do I mean by that? What's the constant wind and the constant lightning and, and thunder? Also, there's cicadas everywhere he goes, apparently. Yeah, that noise is haunting. Yeah. That's how you know he's coming. Yeah. That was one of the things I think I didn't like the first time through. I'm like, this is stupid. Why is there lightning around him? That's just dumb. And this I'm like, oh, no, he's just he just does not belong here. He should not be here. That even the, the air around him is like, wow, what is this? I love that. Whatever he's giving off is, is affecting everything. He blots out the light, right? Wherever he goes, it's just darkness. Mm-hmm. He makes it very blue. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I mean, in the, I know there are sequels and stuff, but it would be interesting in the context of this to see what he was like in the day. But I don't really care. It's night forever now. This is not going to this is not going to go on as long as it needs to go on. Some might never come up again when Pumpkinhead's around. Um, one of the things I do like too that he's that you learn that he's um, sentient. It's not just merating mm-hmm. thing. And I'm basing that on what he does to Maggie. Ben, what does he do to Maggie? There's something about Pumpkinhead that is so you know. First, like goodness doesn't matter. You know, it, you can you can be good. He doesn't care, right? Uh, he knows he has to kill you, so obviously he goes after. Maggie, who has run outside and put other people in danger as she does, but he does that, that horrifying pressing her face against the window thing that is so demonically playful, right, in that moment. And he shoves her head through the window and she's bleeding all over the place. I mean, it's like, it was so, it's like a a pressed ham of doom, right, that he's pushing her, her face on this glass and just smashes her head through. To make sure that everybody sees it too. Right. Yeah. And like he is just loving this. Right. Like this is a he's living his best life. Yeah. I wasn't even going for that, but that is excellent. I was going to say that I thought you'd pick up on this, but. Uh, oh, the the anointing. Yeah. In a scene in a scene previous to this, that um, when she after she goes after Maggie goes running out in a huff and Steve has to go out and rescue her because she's making another scene. He's like, here. Look, look, Maggie, look at it. You always found your strength from this. We'll find it now and come back. I need you. Steve. Steve. Maggie, Maggie, come back to me. Look at this. Look at your cross. You've always found strength in the cross. And she goes on a big Bible thumping thing for the rest of the movie that Ben had mentioned earlier. She's got to be praying constantly. And she's got to be, only God can stop what's out there. That kind of nonsense, which means do nothing. I'm going to control the situation by making sure nobody does anything that we need to do. But when he gets his hands on Maggie, the first thing he does is just carves a cross in her forehead. I'm going to mock your faith. I'm going to mock everything that you believe in and everything that you derive strength from because it's not here tonight. Not well, anymore. If you want to get real into that, um, that's the mark we make on, on, you know, that that's the mark we make on Ash Wednesday. That's a mark of penitence, right? That sort of anointing of the forehead. Um, it's it's used in penitence and forgiveness and other things like that. So. Yeah, I mean, the the idea that Pumpkinhead, right, is this vessel of repentance in this very mocking her faith kind of way is, I mean, it's just, it's brilliant. I mean, 
because it's subtle. I mean, you have to know what that is to know what that is. Also, to, to make it even more visceral is that the 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 locals refer to these teenagers as marked. Sorry, we can't help you. You've been marked. And she is actually physically marked. And I love all that. It's working on like secular and religious levels and, and metaphysical levels. I love all that. Very, very smart. Jumping ahead a bit, since we're on the topic, the scene where they, they go to hide in the abandoned church. About 40 years ago, they tried to start a congregation up around here. It didn't work out, I guess. I figure it's a holy place, so I might not like it here. Come on. I thought this was corny the first time when um, Pumpkinhead finally arrives. And there is the remnants of something that looks like a cross. You know, it's just a couple of beams stuck together. And he grabs and is like, ah, rah, rah, rah. Like, that's so corny. This time through, I'm going, it doesn't affect him. It's not hurting him. It's not warding him off. It's making him angry. What a great choice. Yeah. And I, I mean, I got a real, uh, you were talking about the Old Testament, right? Um, when they're in the church, and the church can't protect them because clearly this town has a weird relationship with churches, right? They tried to have a congregation. It, it didn't work out for some reason. But there's this Old Testament idea that when you have sinned greatly, God doesn't pay attention to you anymore. So the church wouldn't protect them, right? Uh, or, or couldn't protect them. Uh, and so Pumpkinhead is unfazed by it, right? Because he's sort of this uh, this this vessel of, of perverted justice. But um, you know, and yeah, I mean, the smashing of the cross, I mean, it's at no moment is Pumpkinhead affected by any of this stuff, right? Uh, it's just in his way, right? And you don't get in his way. No, no, you don't. It does have that very, very brief moment before he walks in that he's standing outside and there you, you get this sort of like sense of hope from them. Like, okay, he can't come in here. And then he just like walks through. You know, it, it, it doesn't phase him. And I thought that was just such this cool kind of juxtaposition of Pumpkinhead and this broken church. Because they're all thinking, oh, he can't come in and get us here. Meanwhile, he's actually just looking at the place going, what a dump. <laughs> what a dump. Sashay's <laughs> 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 <Sashes> in. <laughs> Little did anyone know that Betty Davis was inside that Betty house. Davis is everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> With Lance Henry. If I can get if I can get a Betty Davis in, I'm getting it in. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the uh, but the thing that I didn't like when I was younger was that the kills are not spectacular for the most part. Mm. St Steve gets killed off screen. We get the telltale bloody headband though, which I thought was a nice touch. Or Halo, if you will, the soiled Halo. Sorry, your angel's gone. He was the only nice one of you, and we've taken him first. Because maybe he, maybe Pumpkin hit priorities. He's like you're the least awful. <laughs> Well, and that's what I was thinking about is in the order in which they were killed. I'm wondering if Joel was the last one intentionally because he had to watch all of them die because of what he did. But he's not the last one. He's the last to one. Die, that, but the other two are still marked. That, They're still marked. I just call that bad writing because uh, I think it was intentional. <laughs> Pumpkinhead has, has no flaws. That's <laughs> what's right. I'm sorry that's it's in right. the script. <laughs> Well, the, I think the gun stabbing death was pretty dramatic. I mean, I think in a way the deaths are kind of uh, uh, intentionally undramatic because he's just he's just throwing away trash. I mean, he, it really is nothing to him. It's also 1988, which means the MPAA was cracking down. It was the era of Tipper Gore, like uh, uh, Friday, oh, yeah. the 13th, 7th, got cuts of ribbons the year before. So they might have intentionally left it out. And I'm fine with that now. But I'm just saying at the time, I didn't like it. 
But this time around, I loved Joel's death. I hated it the first time. Like, how lame? Because I usually am of the opinion when you've got a creature that's got natural weapons, if it uses another weapon, that's lame. So using the shotgun was lame. But then I realized you just stabbed him with his own phallic symbol. That's that's he loves that damn gun, and I'm going to take it out. I'm like you, you, and he did it through the gut. I have a thing with gut wounds because <laughs> you do this job long enough, and you know I used to work, I used to, I studied um, like forensic pathology and all kinds of things like that, and was supposed to be a, a profiler in another career la- life. But um, when you do gut stuff, you are going to kill that person, but it's going to take a really long time, and it they're going to suffer for a really long time. So like stab five recently, everything was in the gut. It's like, oh God, this guy is so, whoever's doing this is so mean. He wants everybody to suffer before they die. And that's what Pumpkinhead does with him. It's like, I'm going to make, he, kill, he kills Kim very quickly. This is going to hurt. And he, he lifts hurt. him up too, doesn't he? With the, the gun. Is that a thing? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And is he the one that he, mm-hmm. he plays with his head in that awful? Mm-hmm. Oh my, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Anybody still in there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was horrifying. So this is Patrick from the future. Hello. Hello. I just wanted to add this back in because I am so mad I forgot to talk about this when Ben and Oso were on the show. But Joel does try to redeem himself before he's killed, long before he's killed. I'm always fucking up. My whole life, one big fuck up. But it stops now. But he does it in that toxic masculinity, I'm going to be a hero sort of way. Which isn't going to work, obviously, because he's the worst one. He has to get it the worst. But my favorite part of the entire movie is when after his girlfriend gets captured, after Kim gets captured, he comes bursting out of the cabin with his shotgun and he yells, I'm the one you want! I'm the one you want! That's all I want to be! So come on, Pumpkinhead, make a move on me because I got to stick Olivia Newton-John into the things. If it's not Betty Davis, it's Olivia Newton-John. And for this episode, you're getting both. You're welcome back to the show. So the last two are running around trying to uh, escape, but they're getting help. I mean, they're, they're trying to knock on people's doors. And like we said, people aren't getting involved because, no, sorry, you're marked. You're marked. Kenny Loggins shows up to tell them they're marked. <laughs> I can't help you. Folks, he's marked. <laughs> but someone decides to break rank. Who breaks rank to help them? It was your favorite. Bunt. My little bunt kick. My little bunt kick. He's so sweet. <laughs> he's so sweet. Yeah, he's just like, uh, he just can't do it. He can't do it because he also feels responsible if it wasn't for him taking Ed Holly there, then none of this would be happening. One of the things that amazes me, I don't know if this is his first movie. There's a scene where he tells the uh, backstory of Pumpkinhead as he knows it. These huge exposition scenes in the hands of another actor would be, this would be my Oscar moment. Here I am. It's my Oscar moment. It's going to be really intense. He's so casual about that. I love the whole time he's doing this. He's like just casually like rubbing the sweat off of his neck the whole time. It was such a great choice. He's just so effort- effortless is my word du jour for this movie pumpkin head that's what it's called because it comes from the old pumpkin patch graveyard well do you know why it's after us no ma'am but you must have done something bad see according to the legend if one man does something bad to another man it's got to be something real bad something like killing and that other man can have pumpkin head conjured up to take revenge 
kid at the stand. What? What? There was an accident earlier. One of our friends hit a little boy with a motorcycle. Where? At the fruit stand a couple of miles down the road. Gosh, you're mighty Billy Harley. You know? No. You heard about it? I took his... I saw his palm, Mr. Harley, this afternoon. I took him somewhere. Well, was his son okay? I can't say for sure. But if that thing's hot in you, I suppose not. Oh, my God. Your friends, where are they now? They're dead. I think this is the first time that he um, alludes to the fact that the kid might be dead, too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. they find out from him. Like, oh, oh yeah, I'll... She mentioned something about the accident. We're at the fruit stand when she was, he said fruits. She said fruit stand. He was like, but bring, wait, what? Because he knows. It, I just saw Ed Harley who owns the fruit stand, and there's a dead body. And it's oh, okay. So yeah, that's how everybody finds out. That's what this is all about. Oh, we skipped my favorite part of the movie. My favorite part of the movie when Ed Harley wakes up and he's driving his son to the graveyard to get buried. And that sweet little boy sits up. What you do, Daddy? That's the line that got Lance Henderson to do the movie. He said, that's incredible right there. That's incredible. There's a handful of lines like that that were just... The one that really stood out for me was, you know, he's at Harley's back at Haggis's saying, how do we stop this? She's like, you can't. It's got to run its course. He's like, God damn you. He already has. He already has. You got to stop it. It's what you wanted. No, not like this. Not like this. I see it. This is wrong. Nothing I can do. It's got to run its course now. What did you think? It'd be easy. Neat and clean and painless. You're a fool. If you won't help me, if you don't help me, then I'll do it myself. I'll do it. I'll do it myself. You'll fail it, Harley. You'll fail and you'll die, too. Then I'll die. Then I'll die. And pay the final bribe all the sooner. God damn you. God damn you. He already has, son. He already has. Did you think it would be easy? Nice and clean and painless. <laughs> I warned you. I warned you. Don't come crying to me. Caveat emptor, Ed Harley. Caveat emptor. And every time somebody dies, Ed Harley becomes a little bit closer and a little bit closer and a little bit closer to Pumpkinhead. He sees more. He feels more. And if we learn what? Well, I guess I'm just going to say that he's essentially turning into Pumpkinhead himself. They're becoming the same creature. It's the, what's the Corsican brothers? Is that the legend? The twins who could feel each other's pain? Okay, nobody knows what I'm talking. Old movie. Sorry, I'm ancient. Well, you already said 1888, right? How dare you for remembering that? How dare you? (laughs) Use my own words against me. (laughs) Fie. Fie on you, Oso. Fie. You know, actually, one of the lines I found pretty powerful, too, and I think it was almost a throwaway line, but uh, when Bunt uh, is, you know, doing his little exposition thing, when he just looks deadpan and says, I think it's here now. I think it's here now. 
that sent chills through me when he did that. Uh, and then, of course, cicadas go and, you know, it's a whole whole thing. The mariachi band comes out. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're, you're absolutely right. I just want to give it up to Tom Woodruff for not only working on the design of Pumpkinhead, but being in that suit. The way that he moved and he I, I've met him. So I I don't I'm sure we've talked about it, but we have a horror convention down here called Texas Frightmare Weekend. And I've worked it for 13 years. So I've met a lot of, of kind of horror celebrity guests. And Tom Woodruff is one of the people that I've met. And he is the nicest monster I've ever met. Um, I just recently, Lance Hendrickson was actually just here uh, a couple weeks ago and got to hang out with him just a little bit. And he is still just one of the most amazing people I've ever met. But Tom Woodruff, for his tall and kind of, he's a big guy. The ability to kind of move in that suit so fluid, it, it, it just it, it blows me away. He's wonderful. You're right there. Even though the creature itself is hideous, it's got grace when it moves and a silence when it moves. Incredibly agile. I mean, he goes from, you know, pulling someone over the top of the house to 50 feet up in a tree. I mean, it's it's so. OK, so there's this final chasing. But we we know that nothing can stop this. It has to run its course. We've been told this over and over and over again. So Pumpkinhead kills the two kids and the movie's over. That was the version that I watched. That's the French version. The <laughs> Right. And, and then Pumpkinhead drinks Campari and smokes clove cigarettes because it's French. I don't get right. <laughs> well, no, I think you you get that first real, I mean, kind of hit you over the head connection um, that they are they are connected, right? Where Ed hardly kind of accidentally snags his his flamethrower and pulls himself into the pitchfork. Yeah. And time, then there's just for one, time for one second. Just for one second. I just want to say that it's at some point, I don't remember when exactly what it was. Lance Henderson's deciding, no, I can't let this happen. I'm going to have to stop this. So he's going out to fight Pumpkinhead. Please continue. Oh, so sorry. Yeah. Yeah. So um, it, it's the kind of more on the nose, obvious connection that if Ed Harley's feeling this, Pumpkinhead is feeling this. So there's, it, it's a bit. Like I said, it's a bit on the nose for me. It, it, it was subtle before, and I think that it it was a little bit forced to say, hey, look, they're actually connected. Make that connection. We want you to see that. But it was even that being so in your face, it was I still think it was well done. No, oh, yeah. Like it was it was it was realistic. It was just kind of Well, it also like I could have done that, without it. Well, well okay. Fair enough. Um, I, I get that. I get that. I, it, it is because they do it a couple of times. They do it with Gypsy the dog, too. Gypsy the dog attacks one of them. Oh, poor Gypsy the dog. She keeps growling. And she knows that he's gone. Like, immediately. She knows there's something wrong with him. I don't think that was Gypsy. That was the other guy's dog. Um, Kenny Loggins. The other townsperson. Yeah, I was Kenny Loggins. Because I need more Gypsy in the movie. <laughs> Gypsy's had a really bad. But even <laughs> earlier on, even earlier on, back at the, the store, when he was at, still at the store, and he came home, and Gypsy was like, no, I don't know who you are. That's that's heartbreaking. Right. That's heartbreaking as an animal, yeah. uh, animal lover. I didn't mind it so much because it is a horror movie. You're going for a certain audience and you do have to hit people over the head. You have to make sure that they get it. And plus, we've established that there's a connection. We have to establish that it's progressed, that it's this this visceral. I don't mind it, um, but I understand why you do. But yeah, Ed, Ed, Ed realizes that connection. And what does he do? 
What does he realize? What does he realize? What does he realize he have to do, Ben? Well, I think you also have to like if this is a morality play, right? I mean, the intention is to hit you over the head with this stuff. So, um, you know, True. this idea that to to kill the beast, you must recognize you are the beast, right? Um, and so, yeah, he he knows now, right, that in, if he wants to take Pumpkinhead down, he has to take himself down uh, because that is the only way to stop this. Um, and so he shoots himself in the head ish. Uh, but not fatally, I guess. Um, and so that begins the sort of progression of, of the end, right? There's that wonderful moment right after one of those, I don't remember if it was the flamethrower or the dog attack where he recovered from it. And you looked up at Pumpkinhead and Pumpkinhead is now getting his face. It's starting to look more and more like Lance Henderson. And this mm, movie goes yeah. on and he didn't realize it up until then. Great moment. Great moment. Well, she hits him with that flamethrower and it has no effect on him at all. Nothing. Know, nothing. No. He's like, <laughs> which is like, Ooh, that's nice. like a, that's Chekhov's flamethrower, right? Cause it appears in the first act. And so it has to come back. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Right. Ding, ding. Absolutely. Right. Ding, ding. Yeah. So he shot himself and it didn't work. And our poor final girl has to put him down. Yeah. Which was gruesome. That whole kill me part, which he does. And I, so much of this, I didn't, didn't really register before or the impact of what it meant registered before that as soon as Ed Harley's dead, Pumpkinhead's body bursts into flames. That makes sense. Cause you can't, the way this movie ends, you can't have that body around anymore. It's got to go back from whence it came. And I'm not talking about the pump that not talking about the pumpkin patch because, because why? Well, because Ed Harley has to replace him. There's a new pumpkin right. head in yeah. town. Cause he's got the little necklace on. Yep. Uh, check off necklace. Yeah. <laughs> this is true. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a it's a fun little romp. Nice, tight. There's no fat on this movie, which I enjoy. Yeah, it's like an hour and a half, right? Yeah, not not even. It's eighty eight minutes. Hour twenty six. Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. No, you're absolutely right. I would not have cut anything. It's nice, tight, right, and wrong, and nobody wins. Nobody, I mean, you could say that the kids win because they survive, but you no. Know. Yeah, but she has to kill someone. I mean, like, there's nothing good about what happens, right? Yeah, more, again, another morale. Do I do it right. or do I not do it? And then yeah. You, yeah. after all of this, all of them are damaged after this. Both of those kids, Bunt, uh, they have been involved in this and they are damaged. And poor Gypsy lost her whole family. Yeah. Well, and poor Chris, I mean, we didn't even talk about poor Chris, right? Who pumpkin hit did everything but kill him. I mean, he was thrown around every which way. But, <laughs> you know what? I hated his vest so much. That I hated his whole outfit. I'm like, just keep bouncing around. His whole look was terrible. Like, <laughs> And then Haggis, like the one of her other great lines, right? Now you have to pay the final price, all the silver, right? Uh, and so that's what happens to Ed Harley, right? I, and I, I do love that the price is not what you, it's more than you think, even what more than what we think it is. It's like you think the character's getting duped, but no, 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 honey, 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 honey. You really needed to read the user agreement before you signed this contract, but you didn't. But you didn't. No one reads the fine print. No, no. Always no. read the fine print with Satan, folks. That's my advice for today. <laughs> they uh, never do. If you're gonna do, if you're gonna be making deals with anybody, read that damn fine print. Right. With Satan, he'll get you every time. So, as I say, there's a couple of things that I did not know or did not remember going to this. Pumpkinhead actually speaks. Only twice that I recognized. But he speaks, mm -hmm. and it's just saying those people's names. Mm. But also, 
What a dump. (laughs) (laughs) I did not realize that they made this for so little. Maybe Pumpkinhead's gay, too. That's why he's so graceful and agile. (laughs) Right. That's it. Well, he's clearly a gymnast. I mean. Clearly. Clearly works out. (laughs) (laughs) Loves his nails. Needs a little moisture, but you know it's the it's the air. It's the air is very accurate. He's a svelte, area, so. svelte fella. Yeah, <laughs> not an ounce of fat. <laughs> Clearly does cardio, does cross training. Bad posture though. Oh, <laughs> overdoes it on shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> shoulder pads. Yeah, he's the eighties demon of shoulder pads. Yeah, that's true. It was the eighties. <laughs> okay. Okay, so that's pumpkin, and I think we've done it, boys. Well done. <laughs> well done. We've come out the other side. So, oh, so, first of all, it's been a long time since you've been here. Please remind people. I mentioned that you made a big gay horror movie. Can you please tell us about the big gay horror movie that you made and where people can find it? I did. Um, oh, my I God, the title, the title, called- the title, the title in you two. I, Jesus. Okay, please go. Yeah, uh-huh. I'm sorry. I, I spoiled it. <laughs> go. <laughs> I made a What's the title of in, your movie, Oso? I made a film in 2013 that we released in 2015 called Sacrament. Unfortunately, um, there's not a lot of places to find it. I may send you a link to the one that I put up on YouTube. Um, there are places to find it, but because we got so royally screwed by our distributor in the U.S., um, we actually make no money on anything that anyone purchases. So I have a free version, which is my, the theatrical premiere version is the one that I put up on YouTube and it's a little bit different. It's, it's a little bit longer, maybe about 10, 12 minutes. But, uh, I just said, you know what, if I'm, if I'm not making money on it, I'm just going to put it out there for free so people can see it. So. Okay. I'm sorry to hear that distributors do that a lot. And I don't know why. And it's awful. And I'm sorry, read the fine print. Well, and that's the thing is it, it it wasn't even the contract. It was just, they sort of took the film and ran and didn't, do any of their job oh my god well uh, connections we just had alan roe kelly on who told me the exact same story about tales of poe i'm sorry that happened what's it what's it about let's come out of the let's come out of the bad stuff let's talk about happy stuff what's the movie about it's sort of my homage to the stuff that i grew up watching it was a bunch of kids on a trip down south and they were going to originally they're going to south padre and i think we just cut the the name of the town but they end up in this small Southern town, which is a very religious, uh, they've got like a religious revival going on at the time and they start getting picked off one by one. Ultimately they're getting eaten by the town. What was the tagline for your movie? Please remind me. The tagline was sinners for dinner. I love that. That makes me so happy. Oh, I'm sorry about here, about it was actually originally titled for those we are about to receive. And it was just, it was too long and it, it was a little too. I wouldn't know what I was going to watch with exactly. that title. But so. yeah. Okay. So, Ben, you are the first gay person of the cloth that I've had on the show. And part of that, on my part, is because when I hear gay and religion in the same sentence, I kind of cringe because I have to separate the two because I was raised Catholic. I went to Catholic for 17 years. Catholic school, that is. And spoiler, it didn't end well. Didn't like it. Had the exact opposite effect that it was supposed to 
have and drove me away. Ben, what makes your church different and where might people find that church if they want to come see a Pastor Ben sermon? Can we do that? We... You you can do that, actually. Yeah. Um, what makes my church different is that we are aggressively affirming. Uh, and so uh, we are a small but fierce little congregation. But my my congregation is very progressive. Uh, having a gay minister was actually an important thing for them. Uh, and they wanted to send a message uh, by doing that. So, um, yeah, it's unfortunate, right, that we have to separate uh, our sexuality from our religion. Uh, I often say uh, gay folks don't lose their faith. It's stolen from them. Um, and so, uh, yeah, you can. Uh, we have a YouTube link uh, where you can watch me preach my little heart out. Uh, we do uh, Zoom services every Sunday um, at 10 a.m., uh, which you can find on our website. 10 a.m.? Are you yeah. sure it's a gay church? <laughs> <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry. Sorry. I can't help myself. Sorry. Well, Please yeah. continue. <laughs> Only well, I'm I have a cat. Worst. I have a cat that who eats at six thirty. So I'm we're brunching. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, but well, the name of our church is hard uh, because we're in a place called Scipioville. So it's called Scipioville Presbyterian Church, um, and so it's ScipiovilleChurch.org. Uh, is the the website, which I think you have all that stuff, right? Uh, it's on the web page, and I'll make sure it's in the show notes as well. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So. Yeah, if you want to visit us, feel free. We're not that makes mean. me happy. Yeah, that's all I need to hear. That's all I need to hear because I know so many myself and so many people out there have that trauma when it comes to religion. It's nice to see that there's somebody that's helping to mend that fence. Yeah, the problem isn't God. The problem is God's children. Yeah, and speaking of mending fences, oh so oh so oh so oh so. Oh, so. I don't know if you noticed. All three of us have beards. I did notice that actually. And one of the things that's changed with you since the last time that we have spoken is that now that beards are your business. Uh, yeah, uh, probably about five years ago, I started making a uh, beard product for myself just because I, I wasn't really happy with what I was seeing um, on the shelves. And when I started making my own product, people really seemed to like it. So I said, you know, uh, let's give it a try. And I did it for a few years kind of on my own. And then decided to take it legit. So we uh, have kind of a full line. We do beard balms and butters. We have a mustache wax um, working on a deodorant. And we do a, a beard and body shampoo bar. Um, and yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm kind of working on having my own full line of beard and body care for people that are so inclined. I like that. That's very cool. Um, this is just me. This is just me. I have my beard balm and I have my beard oil and I really don't know what I'm supposed to do with it or why I'm supposed to have it. Yeah. Uh, I think that's a lot of the the issue with beard care in general is like people know that they are supposed to take care of it, but they don't know how. Um, mm. Someone gets a gift of beard balm and they're like, great, now I've got it. I don't know what to do with it. So to me, that's been one of the the best parts of this is sort of helping people out. And, and it's, it's not easy to do it one-on-one -on -one because everybody's got to have that kind of instruction, you know, to say, here's why you do this. Here's how you do it. And I've started doing a little more kind of TikTok and a little bit of uh, more video driven to reach more people and say, look, Here's how you do this. Here's why this is a problem. Here's why your beard itches. Um, I, 
trying to reach more people um, in a more uh, efficient way than kind of doing all of the farmers markets and saying, great, you come by, I can talk to you in person and tell you what you need. Um, if I can do the videos and kind of get the word out that way, it just, I reach more people faster. Excellent. I, that, that's exactly what I need. Cause like I said, I've got dozens of bottles of them in there and I use them a couple of times and then somebody gives me more and I just, they just pile up and I look horrible. I look at me. I'm a scraggly. I feel Your terrible. Anyway, your poor, poor beard. <laughs> Leave her alone. Leave her alone. She's a wonderful woman. Oh, this one. Okay. So what is the name of your company, Oso, and how can people find your product? It is Oso Scruffy. It's O-S-O-S-C-R-U-F-F-Y. Um, and we're at ososcruffy.com. We are on the website. We're on Instagram. We're on TikTok. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. We're all over the place. Um, just trying to... Um, I, I, I really try to spread a much more less toxic masculinity version of beard care um, because most of the ads that you see for beard products are these perfectly chiseled Viking guys with massive beards. And that's just not reality for most people. Um, I have a lot of trans. It's like a dick measuring contest, yeah. but on your face. Yeah, it is. And I have a lot of trans uh, customers. I have a lot of non-binary customers. And those are the people that I want to show. I want there to be uh, real people in all of my social media. And that's what I try to, I, I don't, I don't go out and buy ad uh, pictures of, of these Viking guys. I just, I use real people in my stuff. Okay. I love all of that. So, um, Oso and I worked out a little something for you listeners out there who might be wondering what to do with your beards or want to try a new beard product. And uh, we've come up with a little deal. Oso, why don't you tell them about the super bargain that you can get with a special code just for Scream Queens listeners. That's right. Just for Scream Queens listeners, you get a 10% off your total order with using the Scream Queens code Queens with a Z 10. So Q-U-E-E-N-Z 10. Yay. I love all that. The thing is, I'm going to tell you right now, everybody out there, if you use the 10% savings to bribe some witch in the woods for a revenge <laughs> pact, I'm never speaking to you again. Okay. Not cool. Not cool. All right, gentlemen, thank you so much for spending your Saturday afternoon with me. This has been a lot of fun. I enjoyed yes. it. And you made me watch a movie I love and you made me cry. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. And Ben, thank you for recommending it and ma making me go back to it and revisit it and finding a love for it I did not have before. You, you, you've awoken the spirit inside of me, the spirit of Pumpkinhead. I'm touched. Thank you. Okay. Have a wonderful rest of your weekend, boys. Stay safe, stay healthy, and most of all, stay fabulous. Bye. 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 That was super fun. Thanks once again to my guests, Oso Eward and the pastor fabulous himself, Ben Fitzgerald Fye. I just wanted to clarify something really quick because I realized this is an audio podcast, obviously, and you may not be seeing Oso's name properly in your head when you're thinking, especially if you're going to buy some beard products from Oso Scruffy. It's not Oso. Like, Oso Eward is Oso Sexy. It's not that. It's O-S-O, -S -O, Spanish for bear. Oh, so scruffy. So it's bear scruffy, but in Spanish. But if you're confused by what I just said, don't worry about it. The links are down there in the show notes. Go buy yourself some beard product. Get yourself that 10% exclusive savings and make yourself look fabulous. So I've been thinking as I was editing this, Ben said something that struck me about that whole uh, redemptive violence 
thing that he mentioned about how it's this knee-jerk reaction to get revenge on somebody when a child is killed or a pet is killed or anything like that. And I realized that the that in Pumpkinhead, Lance Henderson is redeemed. The only way he reaches redemption is because he's become empathetic to his victims, to Pumpkinhead's victims, which are also, of course, his victims. He feels their pain. He shares their suffering. And I realized that if you take it out of the movie and put it into daily life, that a little bit of empathy, especially these days, goes a long way. Perhaps we should not be so quick to strike at each other all the time, not go for the revenge, not to go for that impulse for violence, whether it be mental or physical or verbal, that with a little bit of empathy towards others, we can save not only the world, but perhaps ourselves. I don't know what I'm saying. I don't do philosophy well, but... Anyway, I know what many of you are thinking. You're like, Patrick, it's been months, and you barely talk about Secret Agent Boots, the cat, at all. And I said, well, that's because she's a secret agent, okay? A lot of this stuff I just can't tell you. I'm not allowed to, but I want to tell you about this new trick that she's been up to. Well, I mean, she's a cat, obviously. So when you, ha- when you have a cat, they play with stuff that they're not supposed to play with, and sometimes when you're not around. So things disappear. But man, Secret Agent Boots makes the weirdest things disappear. I woke up this morning, and the sink trap from the kitchen drain is missing. I know I did the dishes last night, and one of Secret Agent Boots' favorite things to do is to patrol the kitchen sink, particularly when I'm doing the dishes. She'll stand next to me and watch like a hawk everything that's going on because her favorite thing is when I pull out the sink trap and the water goes down and it swirls around and it gurgles. She will jump up and down and back and forth and like freak out like something is going to jump out like Pennywise the clown is going to come out and attack us, especially if it gets really gurgly. And I woke up this morning and the sink trap is gone. I did the dishes last night, and I know I put it the sink trap down next to the faucet because, you know, I ha- can't put it back in too soon or she gets upset. You have to make sure that water's gone. Once the water goes down, she'll go down and poke at the, the drain for a while. So I just put it aside and let her poke. So there's no sink trap today. So I said to her, um, Secret Agent Boots, I can't help but notice that the drain trap from the kitchen sink is missing. And she said, well, these things happen, Steve. And so I said. Um, Secret Agent Boots, I know you like to patrol the sink at night to keep Pennywise the Clown from getting in. Did you move the sink trap somewhere more secure, possibly? Uh, that's classified, Steve. Okay. Uh, Secret Agent Boots, without the sink trap, can't Pennywise get into the apartment more easily and kill us all? The less you know, the better, Steve. Boots, my name isn't Steve. Yes, uh, well, that's exactly what a Steve would say, Steve. Nice work. Spy cats are complicated cats. That's all I got to say. Before we wrap up, I do want to tell you that I went to the theater the other night. I went to, I got to see a show on Broadway, a play called The Minutes. And I know you're bored already, but stay with me because if this happens to tour, I highly recommend you see it because A, it's a great play, and B, it's terrifying. The only way I can describe it, it was like Christopher Guest meets Shirley Jackson. So if you like that kind of a thing, it's great. It's it's about it sounds as boring as hell because it's about a town council meeting. Some guy missed the last two meetings and he just wants to read the minutes from the last meeting, but everyone's dancing around the meeting minutes like the why he can't have them or can't read them that they're not here, they don't exist. Oh, we didn't type them, we didn't print them out. There's a whole mystery about what happened at the last meeting and it turns out something really horrible happened at the last meeting and something really horrible has been going on for a long time. This is a little town with a really dark bloody secret. And it's fabulous. And when the blood started flowing in the last 10 minutes, I'm like, I, wow, this is not the show I expected it to be at all. And I'm really happy. If it tours, go check it out. It's Steppenwolf. It's a Steppenwolf production, so, which is a Chicago theater company. If it's Steppenwolf, you know it's always going to be something interesting. But, man, 
Christopher Guest meets Shirley Jackson. It's all these wacky characters like, oh, they're so cute and so adorable. And the next thing, there's, there's a body count. And I loved it. So the minutes. If it comes by, check it out. And if not, too bad. So next month is Pride Month. Yay! And that means we're going to be delving into some movies that were made by queer people. Yay! So no more hunting and straining trying to find gay subtext in these horror movies. No, these horror movies were made by gay people, so it's going to be squirted all over the surface. Yay! Just the way I like it. And to kick things off, I am finally, if it kills me, going to cover Death Drop Gorgeous. That's the queer slasher movie. Made by our buddies over at Monster Makeup Incorporated. They've been on the show a bunch of times and I never talk about their movie because something always happens and it's a hard movie to talk about. But we are going to do it this time if it kills me because I have rounded up two very special guests who know nothing about the movie. So they're bringing no baggage and no confusion. I'm talking about Jason Pintar, who you met when I covered All About Evil a few years ago, and Peter Admonson, who was on Popcorn. So it's going to happen if it kills me. And if you haven't seen the movie, what are you waiting for? It's on Shudder right now. Death Drop Gorgeous. What a better what better way to kick off Pride Month than with a big gay drag slasher flick. All right, I think that's going to wrap things up for episode 335 of Scream Queens. If you'd like to get in touch with the show, you know what? You can do that on all the social media. The links are down there in the show notes. But what I would really love, what would make my day, which would make my birthday, you can give me a late birthday present by leaving me a voicemail. Patrick, how do I do that? It's very easy. Go to the website, www.screamqueens.com. Of course, that's Queens with a Z. On the right side of the page, there's a little red tab that says, leave me a voicemail. Click it and leave me a voicemail. That's what it's there for. And I'll play it on the show and we can talk. I miss having your voices in my ear holes. But Patrick, what do I talk about? I don't know. You have a comment on something I said? Leave a voicemail. You disagree with my review of something? Leave me a voicemail. You saw a movie that you loved and want me to talk about it? Leave a voicemail. You saw a movie that you hated and you want to tell the world? Leave a goddamn voicemail. Screamqueens.com. Tab on the right. Super simple. And so, my beautiful, beautiful screamers, please continue to make the world a more fabulously creepy place. And to do that, all you got to do is follow the Scream Queens golden rule. Can you say it with me? I bet you can. Fight or flight, survive the night, make it to the final reel, wear a fucking mask, wash your fucking hands, keep your fucking distance, get the fucking shot if you can, and never forget for one second how much I love you. Answer, a lot. A heck of a lot. music for tonight's show, unless otherwise specified, has been written by Sam Haynes. You can find all of his music at www.bandcamp.com. Bitches! <laughs> Ew.